This morning's reading is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a, someone who looks at the I should have my glasses on. Who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whatever, whatever, whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We we'll just pray for the sermon coming up now. Father, we pray that you, for you to soften our hearts this morning as we listen to James presenting your word and help us to faithfully apply your word in a way that brings you glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to pray first before we then think together and reflect together on the wonderful work of the Word of God in our hearts and in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that the words of my mouths and meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight and that you would move us to a deeper understanding of how your Word and more deeply impact us and shape us to be the people you call us to be. Amen. Well, uh, there are countless stories over the centuries of how the Bible has completely and wonderfully transformed people's lives. Uh, in the first, fourth century AD, uh, a young man was in crisis. Uh, he had a Christian mother, but he had turned his back on her faith and he'd sought truth elsewhere, he decided he would live however he wanted. Uh, and indeed, he led a wild life, uh, he pursued drunken parties, uh, and he fathered a child outside of marriage. Uh, one day, whilst living in Milan, uh, he heard the preaching of the Bishop Ambrose, who was a towering figure in the church at the time. And he found himself unable to shake off what he heard. And in his own words, he recounts, and I quote, The turmoil of my heart took me out into the garden where no one could interfere with the burning struggle within myself in which I was engaged. I was twisting and turning in my chains. But suddenly I heard a child's voice from a nearby house chanting, Pick up and read, pick up and read. Well, I had my Bible with me, so I opened it at the book of Romans, and I read the first passage on which my eye are lit, and it said this, not in drunken parties, nor in eroticism, and in decencies, not in strife and rivalry, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh in all its lusts, which of course was Romans 13, verse 13 to 14. And he continues, I neither wished nor needed to read further, at once, it was as if a light of relief 
from all anxiety flooded my heart. All the shadows of doubt were dispelled. Well, the young man's name was Augustine, and he went on to be one of the great church leaders and theologians in the history of the church. The power of the Bible. It is a force that God uses to speak dynamically into our lives. Uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Well, I need my life to be transformed by God's word. I desperately want uh, Colossians 3 verse 16 to be true to my own experience, which says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the question we are asking this morning is, how can I ensure that the Bible uh, is living and active in my life? What is required for the word of Christ to dwell in me richly? How can I be transformed by it? For as we're going to see, <clears throat> it is quite possible to have a huge amount of uh, regular reading of the Bible and yet to remain completely unchanged by it. So let me give you a little roadmap for our time together this morning. Uh, we're going to look at three areas, a similar structure to what we looked at last week in prayer. So firstly, this week we're going to look at the perils that oppose the work of God's work, uh, God's word in us. Uh, secondly, the power that's unleashed through the work of God's word in us. And finally, the practicalities, the practice of encouraging the work of God's word in us. So perils, power and practice. OK, that's where we're going. So firstly, then, are the perils that oppose the work of God's word in us. Uh, when it comes to reading God's word uh, in a healthy way, as God intended it, we find there are various perils and pitfalls that seek to neutralise its positive power and its work in our lives. Uh, firstly, uh, self-defence mechanisms. You see, sin is a master of deception. Uh, sin doesn't just deceive others, sin deceives me. When it comes to identifying sin in others, hey, I'm incredibly gifted. If, if it was an Olympic sport, hey, I would get gold every time. However, I'm incredulously resistant to anyone speaking to me about my sin. Moi, I immediately wrap my robes of righteousness around myself and I activate my inner lawyer. Uh, Ten years ago, uh, I went to an optician because I was finding it hard to read. And up to that point, uh, I'd had perfect vision all my life. I'd never needed glasses. And it was then that he told me the devastating news. I was getting old. Uh, the lenses of my eyes apparently start to harden at the age of 40. And as a result, I could see distant objects still clearly, but no longer those up close. I had the condition of being long sighted. You see, spiritually, we don't need to wait until we are 40 to become long sighted. Uh, we're born with spiritual long sightedness and sin sees to that. Uh, we can see in the sharpest definition the sin of others, but our own sin remains very blurred and indistinct. 
<laughs> it's the, the log and the speck that Jesus talked about in his Sermon on the Mount. I can see the speck in other people's eyes, but not the log in my own. Uh, the big difference between uh, physical blindness and spiritual blindness is that at least with physical blindness, I know I'm blind. With spiritual blindness, I think I can see perfectly well. But in reality, I am blind to my blindness. My sinners deceive me. Now, this powerful blinding and deceiving power of sin uh, presents a real barrier to God's word operating in my life. You see, sin applies a powerful neutralizing filter. I can listen to what God, God's word says, but be completely blind to my need to take any action whatsoever. I say, hey, that doesn't apply to me. And I resist and I reject the challenge to change issued by God's word. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Sin operates to snatch away any insights I may have about my sin problems. Uh, sin brings, if you like, spiritual dementia. I quickly forget about any uneasy stirrings in my soul caused by looking into the mirror of God's word. Let's keep going on the perils. Uh, the second peril that threatens to neutralise the transforming power of God's word in my life is reading the Bible out of obligation. Uh, there was a, a memorable kid's song I grew up with, uh, which imprinted an important principle on my heart. It was, read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. Now, it's true, but it's only half true. Uh, daily engagement with God's word and prayer is a part of healthy spiritual growth. Uh, we're not going to grow without it. But the danger lies in thinking that so long as I do these things, hey, I'm automatically going to grow. So I feel the pressure to be regular in Bible reading. I feel the guilt associated with not reading the Bible regularly. And as a result, I can forget the purpose of reading the Bible regularly. I start reading it out of a sense of obligation rather than for transformation. The goal can become ticking the box on the reading plan rather than transforming my character and my life. You see, with such an approach, uh, reading the Bible becomes an obligation that brings no change whatsoever. It's nothing more than routine. Now, uh, closely related to the second peril of reading out of obligation is our third and final peril, reading the Bible for information. If we just read for information, then it will also neutralise the transforming power of God's word in my life. I've already mentioned uh, Paul Tripp in relation to his devotional, The New Morning Mercies, but uh, I'm now going to cite another of his works, which is a wonderful book called A Dangerous Calling. Now, this book is pitched particularly for pastors in full-time ministry, although the principles apply to all of us. Uh, personally, 
I found it uh, very helpful and also uh, swallowing hard, very convicting. Uh, Paul Tripp po- points out that uh, a huge danger for pastors is having a- an academic engagement with God's word, but not a personal engagement. And I can relate to that. Uh, hey, I've got to produce a sermon every week. And the pressure to deliver can mean that I read the Bible so as to teach others, but not to transform myself. And it's a little comfort to me to observe that the Pharisees fell foul of this error. Uh, Jesus had these stark words for them in John 5 verse 39. You diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Well, is that just a danger for those in Bible teaching ministry? No, it is a peril for all of us. And we can all easily slip into reading the Bible just for information, but not for transformation. So there they are, the three perils that threaten to neutralise the transforming power of God's word in our lives. And let's now move on to think about the positive power that is unleashed through the work of God's word in our lives. And in particular, we need to answer the question, why is the transforming work of God's word in my life a desirable thing? Or to put it another way, what motivations do I have to seek to overcome these perils and these limiters? Okay. so. Uh, Let's look at the power that's unleashed through the work of God's word in us. Uh, Due to the self-deceiving power of sin, we often don't see how sin spoils us. Uh, Like the frog in the water that is slowly brought to the boil, uh, we don't detect the deadly debilitating effect of sin in our lives. The reality is that as people, uh, we are not all that God made us to be. We were created to reflect God's glory, but now we fall far short of God's glory. So what would it be like if sin did not mar us? Well, we would be glorious. Would you like to be glorious? It sounds pretty good to me. Uh, This intersects very nicely with the idea Uh, In that famous quote of C.S. Lewis, uh, he talks about the future glorious state of Christians when God restores them to perfection uh, at the end of the age when Christ returns. Here's a quote from his paper, The Weight of Glory. He says this. The dullest and most uninteresting person you could talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. And yet that is our destiny for everyone who trusts in Christ. That eventual ridding of all sin, that transforming to our final glorious state. You see, sin has corrupted every aspect of our being. And yet it's all we've ever known. We can't see the heights from which we've fallen and we're blind to the beauty of the alternative. And therefore, we are inclined to vote for the status quo rather than for change. Uh, We opt for inertia rather than for glory. Our hearts are divided and it doesn't serve us well. Uh, It is a thing which really will ultimately kill our hearts 
we are not always fully convinced that becoming more like Christ is in our best interest. As the sexually promiscuous Augustine said on his journey to faith in Christ, he said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. Yet the truth is that change and transformation are in our best possible interest. Uh, growth in Christ's likeness brings freedom from that which would otherwise enslave us, uh, maim us, and in the long term make us miserable. Uh, James 1 verse 25 says this. But the man or the woman who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he or she has heard, by doing it he or she will be blessed in what he or she does. Well, uh, we are all stained and soiled by sin. And yet God's word is commissioned to do this wonderful work in us. And God's word operates to, to wash us. The Bible acts, if you like, to dry clean our souls. Uh, and this metaphor of being washed by the word is used in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, speaking, of course, of the cross, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain. God's word performs that vital function of washing us and to be radiant is attractive. To be glorious is good. And God's intention for those who are trusting in Christ is for them to be steadily washed by the word. It's that ongoing work in the believer's life, which is referred to as sanctification. So thirdly and finally, let's move on to the practice. Uh, what this looks like in practice. Uh, how can we be transformed through the work of God's word in our lives? Uh, what practices will help us overcome the perils and release the power of God's word? Well, we've already talked about the danger of reading the Bible just for information or obligation. So with what sort of mindset should we read it? We're going to consider two main ideas, although there's considerable overlap between them. Uh, reading, firstly, for relationship. And then secondly, reading for transformation. So the first of those reading for relationship. Uh, that is how we should read the Bible. We want to know and to grow in our relationship with the one who wrote the text. Uh, we need to hear his heartbeat. Uh, we don't just want to know about God. We want to know him personally. And therefore, uh, before we start to read this, there is great wisdom uh, in pausing and praying in saying to God, please, Lord, I want to personally meet with you in your word today. Please meet with me as I read the Bible this morning or this afternoon. And then as we read, uh, we should do so with the anticipation that indeed he will do so. Of course, a, a relationship engages much more than just our heads, but also our hearts. Uh, if you've ever had the experience of courtship, you will know that uh, emotions are an integral part of any relationship. And therefore, we should bring our whole self to scripture. 
uh, we should be attentive to to our emotions as we read the Bible. Uh, we can ask, how do I feel about what I'm reading? Uh, where do I find myself deeply resonating with it? Uh, where do I find myself resisting and pulling back and wrestling with what this passage is saying? Uh, what aspects of my life are being touched or spoken to through this scripture? Uh, what do my reactions tell me about myself, about my attitudes, uh, my relating patterns, my perspectives and my behaviours? And am I willing to look at these in God's presence? Now, if this sounds a bit touchy-feely, please bear in mind uh, my own heritage. Uh, I've come from a very word-focused and quite cerebral church background, so I don't offer this advice lightly. But I think there's much to be said for it. So uh, we've thought about uh, reading for relationship. Let's go on and think about, secondly, reading for transformation. Uh, we are seeing that a large part of the battle involves coming to the Bible with the right frame of mind. And not only should we read for a relationship, but also we should read for transformation. Uh, but what does that look like? Well, firstly, uh, it means we come with humility. Uh, we recognise that the remaining sin within has a state-of-the-art defence system. Uh, secondly, we come with openness or at least a desire for openness. Are we resolved to be open to change and ready to repent when necessary? Indeed, wouldn't it be powerful to pray? Please, Lord, as I read your word today, help me to obey it. Where my will diverges from your will, give me the power to surrender to your will. Where we are resistant to change, we can confess our resistance we can ask for God's help in overcoming our resistance. We can pray. Please, God, help me to want to change. So let's close then with some practical approaches and helps for transformative reading of Scripture. Uh, firstly, then, listening for God's voice through journaling. Uh, solitude, uh, silence, slowness are very important in the Christian life, but they're often in short supply in the Christian life of many today. Indeed, many of us are in danger of so filling our lives with activity and noise that we're in danger of failing to hear God's voice and to notice what God wants us to do. So to that end, uh, there is great value in journaling. I used to do it some more in previous stages of life, but I've just started to do it again more recently. Uh, Paul Miller has some very helpful ideas on this in his book, A Praying Life. And I recommended that to you earlier. And the reference there is there in the sermon outline. You see, journaling helps you to slow down and to reflect. Uh, journaling helps us to discern how God wants to work in us. And we become more aware of the interior journey of transformation that God's taking us on. So you see, journaling enables us to take an honest look inside to see our true self. It helps us articulate the state of our hearts. Uh, we can capture and order our thoughts and observations, and we can then reflect on them and on relevant scriptures on, on which may apply to that particular issues we're thinking about. So we put the words to work. Another advantage of journaling is that we also can record our prayers. 
You see, journaling records our journey and it can lead us to realizations and to repentance. You see, it means that we don't forget what we look like after having peered into the mirror of God's word. Well, the second and final piece of advice uh, I'll offer you today uh, is listening to God's word and his voice through a particular uh, process of meditation called Lecto Divina. Let me explain. Uh, There is a place for reading the Bible broadly and at fast pace. Uh, That develops a healthy overview. Uh, We see the big picture of God's word. Uh, We could liken that to jet skiing across the surface of a lake. But reading for transformation is not going to just happen with a fast pace of Bible reading. Uh, Really, it requires us to slow down and to dig deep on a small portion of scripture. Uh, It's the equivalent of scuba diving on a lake lake, rather than jet skiing. So uh, we immerse ourselves in a passage of scripture and we prayerfully read it over several times and we ask questions of it. Now, this is not a new idea. Indeed, it's an ancient practice called Lectio Divina, uh, which means uh, divine or sacred reading. Now, I've included a brief outline in the sermon outline of this process, and I'll just run through it briefly before I close. So we start by when we've selected a short passage of scripture. We start by preparing ourselves. We have a period of silence where we try and centre our hearts and our minds we try and clear away the distractions and the noise of and the white noise of our day. And we articulate and express our desire to God to hear from him. We say, speak, Lord, for I'm ready to listen. So firstly, preparation. Secondly, then uh, we read and we listen. So we read through the passage slowly and we think, what word or phrase is particularly standing out to me? What word or phrase is addressed to me? And then repeat it and just resonate on it for a while. Thirdly, uh, read and reflect. On the the second reading then of scripture, uh, this passage, we ask, how is my life touched by this word? In what way do I need to hear this word? And the fourth stage is reading and responding, particularly in prayer. We ask, what is my response to God based on this word from him to me? And in prayer, we, we, we share our desires, our feelings and our frustrations aroused by this word. We articulate them to God. Then fifthly, we read again the passage and we rest. We wait and we rest in God's word and in God's presence. And finally, sixthly, we resolve to carry the word with us and to live it out during the day and in our lives. So I hope you've encouraged this morning by seeing that God's word is wonderful and it does a wonderful work in our hearts and lives to transform us, to wash us, to change us, to move us to a glorious state. And it is a great work that God's word does. And we work in cooperation with God's spirit and his word to change us and transform us. So I pray that you continue to go on that journey and I pray that you pray for me that I would continue to go on that journey of being deeply transformed by God's word for my benefit and for yours and for his glory. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, please we pray, help us to overcome the perils that face us when we read your word. Uh, Help us to overcome our sinful self-defense mechanisms. 
and our tendency to read your word out of obligation or for information. Help us to read it for transformation and to recognise that this transformation is the best possible thing that could ever happen to us. Help us not to opt for the status quo, but to really desire in our hearts to be changed and transformed as you want to change and transform us. And then please help us to see what that practically looks like, how we can encourage ourselves and also encourage each other to have your word at work in our lives and our hearts to change and transform us from one stage of glory into another. Until finally one day we stand before you, seeing you face to face, washed perfectly by your word, finally removed and having all the stains of sin removed forever. Amen.